You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I had an amazing conversation with Morgan Lander and S.J. Jones about Kitty Pig. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Rachel, thank you so much for, for taking your time uh, to do this. Definitely, uh, I thought it was a, an excellent suggestion. And for, and for people listening to this who wonder um, how we know each other, um, your husband, Brian, I've known for well over t- 10 years in the, the, the music industry on the kind of um, equipment pro audio side of things. He works for, for Sennheiser. But can you tell the people what... Uh, your qualifications are and, and what you uh, do for a living and why we're having you on the show. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'm a licensed clinical social worker, LCSW in Connecticut, where I live, and also where Sennheiser is located. Um, and I'm also a 200-hour yoga teacher. So I do work with individual clients. I've done groups. And I also teach yoga both in my therapy and then in the community. Yeah, I mean, uh, Brian actually reached out to me about um, possibly doing some kind of uh, I guess not one on one, but just like a direct thing dealing with musicians. As far as uh, I don't know, just just dealing with kind of the the day to day rigors of what is what we we do do. You, like, what kind of approach were you think? Like, have you already started working with people in regards to stuff like that? I have. I've worked with a few bands. Um, it's sort of a pet, like a side project we're working on because the challenges of musicians is one they don't have a lot of money sometimes, no offense. Um, and also <laughs> that they are on the move a lot. So they have really specific stressors and they also can't use their insurance if they have it at all because they're state regulations. So that's sort of a project in works, which means they would have to pay cash, which means it's a little harder to access. So it's like a, a lot of negotiating um, to try and figure out. But I know musicians, because of my husband, have a, you know, because of his experiences on the road and working with so many artists over the years, that it's really a tough lifestyle. It's not as glamorous as it looks on TV, right? Like living in a small van driving across country with, you know, a whole bunch of people and equipment and pressure is really tough. Well, I, I know that firsthand because I, I have a lot of back issues. So sure. oftentimes I end up, you know, if, if something goes awry, I end up in some chiropractor's office, you know, somewhere in the world. And, lo- you know, luckily I have um, uh, some scans that I can show them so they can actually see what's wrong with me. But sometimes they'll, if, if you're not their patient, they want to scan you so that, or it's a lot of times the first visit is the most expensive one because they have to examine you and make sure. So I've, you know, I've, I've definitely done the thing going, I was in a hospital in the Netherlands and, you know, you get the, 
and it's it's not expensive by american standards because you go to you know you go to an emergency room in america you get a bill for like three grand <laughs> at uh, least yeah but um you know i i you know i got a bill for i don't know you know three or four hundred bucks um and then i had to buy all the the, the meds at night which was another you know maybe 120 20 or something so i've definitely been there on the road where you don't have even if you have insurance it's kind of meaningless in the in the wrong area so i know all, all about that yeah, it's it's tough. Um, it's tough to manage care, and it's so important to have your mental wellness when you're on the road. And even if you're not on the road, right, the stress of having multiple jobs and missing your family or your home, and you're working on a, you know, I don't know, an album, right? Like, there's a lot of isolation, and it sort of parallels what we're experiencing right now a bit. Is like this confusion, this isolation, and these sort of like unknown, uncharted times that we're in right now. So, so actually. I- my first question is kind of in in relation to that, um, you know, from a I guess clinical standpoint, has there any is there anything psychologically and historically we can look at um, or that you have studied that kind of relates to this? I mean, I, I mean, on a maybe on a, on a mass level because obviously we have things like people being in prison or mm-hmm. house arrest or or, or th- things like this. Is there anything you can think about or that that you relate to as far as this is concerned i've used uh, solitary confinement as a <laughs> example quite a few times over the last couple of weeks uh but also thinking about grief i think one of the big the feelings are like a whole planet is feeling right now is a bit of a grieving process so i would definitely compare it to that if you've lost somebody that you love to an actual like death passing away or like relationships ending suddenly right even if the person doesn't pass away it's a really similar feeling, right? We're a little foggy. We're a little confused. Don't Maybe don't want to get out of bed. You might be feeling kind of heavy. There's no distractions, right? There's way less. Like, yes, we have a lot of TV and internet and hopefully you have power where you're living, but really like the going out and doing things that we use potentially to distract ourselves from our own stuff is gone. We have to deal with ourselves, which is really hard, especially when you weren't planning on doing that work. Now, is it, literal grief are we actually grieving something or is it akin to grief it's a little bit of both because we're grieving what used to be right like before we had to stay six feet away from people before we had to stay in our homes where we couldn't get you know groceries as easily we're grieving a little bit of what our lives used to be like we're also just grieving and as in the sense of like the the access and control we had over our lives we don't really have that right now it'll come back but it might look different and there's a lot of unknowns which again is similar to a grieving process. It also might be like a trauma response is what a lot of um, people in my community are noticing, right? Like think about as a child, right? If something really large happens or like someone kind of like shames you, like, what are you doing? Like, why did you do that? Right? It feels like that, like you should have known or like you should have been in better control. And it feels like a bit of a trauma reaction is what we're all collectively doing. Yeah, that, that, um, the concept of control is something I found to be really kind of the big pushback, you know, is, you know, some people said this about the the reason why people were going out and getting all the toilet paper and wearing the masks in public when they didn't need to. And is that it was all they could do to kind of express some kind of ownership over their own lives and say, all right, I, I can do something because it's I don't think we've ever had a uh, a crisis that in some ways the solution or the solution that was was put down to us was to kind of was a form of passivity right like 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 it's to not do 
you know, right. and, and, and I, and I think usually in, in crises, it's about a call to action, right? You have like world war two. It's like, all right, we're sending, uh, the men overseas, the women are going mm-hmm. in the factories. Uh, you know, we're, we're collecting metal cans or you know, we're doing, <laughs> you know, um, you know, clothing drives, all these, all these different, different things. And, and I think that is kind of embedded in at least the, the American kind of cultural spirit is, is, a is an activity based um proactive absolutely you know and this absolutely and this is the kind of the the kind of the the opposite of that and that and i think that frustrates people and also makes them you know the the thing i've seen too is uh you know we we live in a conspiratorial age in general if you really go back to to 9-11 and Mm. and how we react to kind of big top-down government uh based uh (laughs) you know uh phenomena but, you know, I think that is another way people are kind of utilizing their sense of control is that, well, the official story is not the official story. Clearly, this is it's man-made or it's some type of um, ruse to get control over our rights or to take away some 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 type of, of liberty and, and infringe on our, uh, you know, kind of individual sovereignty sovereignty. Totally. Yeah, I can absolutely see that. And right, we are very, like, we're very independent, right, oriented culturally. And so, you know, we can pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and we can solve any problem, right, with just thinking and doing, right? When we think about people who are out of work, it's like, right, stereotypically that they're lazy or like these are names we brand and label onto people because we're such an action-oriented do-it-yourself. And right now, the only thing we do for ourselves is stay inside to be safe. Like, we kind of miss the boat on prevention and we're just seriously, like, trying to get buckets of water out of our sinking boat kind of right and it feels very out of control even if it's not can i ask you a question about um the the isolation the um i'm sorry the solitary confinement uh corollary what -hmm. what kind of data do we have about what solitary confinement actually does to the human psyche it's pretty brutal. That's why there's a lot of people who are very against it. Because again, you're without a choice, you're sort of stripped away to having very few or no distractions whatsoever, except your own mind. And that's why there's always these great like sort of stories that come out of people who are in solitary or like people on death row, right? Because they had to create like a space for themselves where they didn't lose their minds. It's actually a really terrible thing to do. What do to people anybody. do? What 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 kind of so if you don't have, I mean, are they they have access to books, right? That's pretty much it. Potentially, it depends. I think sometimes so, not, so. right? Right, yeah. I mean, what is so, the? I mean, is is that something that exists um, in cultures and countries around the world, or is that a uniquely American type of punitive measure? I want to say that's pretty American, but I actually don't know. I don't have yeah. a lot of. I don't know any of the stats on that, but I know we do it here for sure, and that it's frowned upon in a lot of other places. Yeah, and so because it's just so traumatic to the person, right? You're so alone. We are humans are inherently community oriented, right? That's why we had hunter gatherer societies because, and like our caveman times, it's another really good analogy. Is like if you were isolated from your herd, you were in really grave danger. Yeah. You were going to be weeded out. And so to be alone was actually really, really terrifying. And we have this need to be in groups. Even if you're like an introverted person, you have a small group of people that you interact with consistently because you need, we have a group mentality of, you know, everyone uses their skills to like the benefit of the collective. And so having to be alone like this, that's why like Zoom is, you know, blowing up and people are using their phones and FaceTiming a ton is because we need that connection just inherently instinctually. Yeah, it's... um. 
I think in many ways, modernity has kind of skewed people's perception of uh, kind of the relationship between uh, independence, codependence, and interdependence. And that oh, yes. we're naturally interdependent and kind of what modern technology, if, and if, so basically if you make enough money or have enough money, you can kind of be on your own. You don't rely you know, on the kind of it takes a village type of uh, framework to to get through. Whereas, you know, in, in hunter-gatherer or even just generally uh, any community that's below a certain threshold of wealth, you really need the, you know, you need help. You need the kids to perhaps work in the fields or you need the neighbor to be able to babysit your kids or mm-hmm. this, this, this idea. But once you make enough money and that now you can be, say, okay, I can just, uh, if I want food, I just order it on my phone. Or if I want this, I can just have, if I need a ride, I just call Uber. If I, you know, and, and it's this way of, you know, I think a lot of the, you know, before this, this disease came around, a lot of the social anxiety and depression and, and all that different things that are kind of elevating has a lot to do with this kind of false sense of I'm good. I don't really, I don't need people. I'm, you know, this kind of detached thing. And we're kind of, I wonder if, if now people are kind of, you know, who claim to be loners, people who claim to be, Oh, I, you know, I, I always hated that this kind of this trope of people saying, I hate people. And I was like, you are a people. Like you're, what are you, what are you talking about? So you hate yourself, like because I, I, I always thought it was hyper, hyperbole, but if I want, but I wonder if this is kind of testing that, uh, that mantra that like, oh, I, I'm, I'm an introvert. I don't like going outside. I don't, you know, but you know where you don't realize you miss it until it's gone, kind of thing. Oh, for sure. I think there's going to be a huge re connection of things and it might appear in a different way right like I think you know people who I see introversion and actually being extroverted is more like like my husband he recharges by being around people he's like an inherently social creature and because of the work that I do I'm more introverted right I work with people's heavy heavy emotional stuff and to recharge I need some quiet alone time to like let go all that heaviness and the stuff do my self-care that I really need to do to be right fill the tank and like take care of all my support my clients and continue to support you know my family that I have we're all living together right now really tightly so you know um, I think those things are really real but it's about like how you charge up but even the most introverted person who says they hate people like absolutely has a community right they have a family they have a family they've invented right like like I have a joke of like an ur- I have an urban family of like some of my friends that I've gathered over the years right we're connected not by blood or by like you know marriages but just because we choose to have each other in our lives and I think that's going to be you know we've never had a longer group chat than right now because yeah. we're all kind of reaching out and clinging to anybody that we have because we can be so isolated yeah I mean I'm I'm kind of a, a, a mix of both where I, I, especially when you tour, you almost never are alone. Um, you're, sure. on, you're on a, even when you, you go to sleep, you're on a tour bus. Um, mm-hmm. you're, you're in alone in your little, you know, uh, sleeping coffin, but you're still <laughs> amidst people, you know, um, you know, you go to the, in the venue, you know, maybe you get <laughs> alone time in the, in, in the bathroom. But like I said, you can still kind of hear people hanging out. And then, you know, you'll get a day off and you get your whole own hotel room. You're like, oh, I forgot what it was like to be alone. And it's 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 pretty nice in that. Uh, but then when I come home, I tend to be alone at, at home a lot working on music or working on the podcast or whatever my, my projects. And then kind of like you said about Brian, 
I kind of have to get out, get to a show, go to a bar, hang out with people. And then, like I said, it kind of refills the, the tank of that, you know, social just um, kind of vitality that, that for me personally, I definitely, that's the thing I miss the most because my days are pretty similar to how it would be outside of the quarantine, but my nights and that that social release is not really there for for me, and I'm I, I I've noticed I noticed it pretty quickly that sure. it, that it affected me, you know. And that's why so many things have popped up on you know virtual, right? Like DJs are doing like virtual dance parties and like having these like club like experiences, but you're doing it from your own home because we just need that. A lot of people really do, even the most introverted introverts, right? And there's introverted extroverts, so that sounds like what you're describing a little bit. It's like a com- <laughs> combo of both of those things, yeah. And then not to mention. Right. Not only are we losing that connection to people, but with the amount of uncertainty with finances or with work or right, like you, I imagine gigs have been canceled. And right, like I was supposed to go to several conferences that have all been pulled back. I applied to speak at a bunch of conferences, which might never happen. Right. And so there's a lot of uncertainty and unknown and priorities are shifting for everybody. And so it's about keeping how do you keep stability and mental wellness during a time that's like this, that's sort of very uncertain, like 9-11, like the 2008 financial crisis, like any of the other big sort of world, not pandemics, I guess it's not the technical term, but any like SARS and Ebola. And we had triple E last summer here on the East Coast, you know, anywhere that were mosquitoes. And so there's, there's often uncertainty. It's just the solution hasn't been exactly this. That's why it feels so different. So, um, I, I did canvas some questions. I don't have a uh, a ton that 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 people ask, but is there like a general kind of um, you know day to day prescription you kind of want to offer people, or do you want to go into the questions first? Uh, yeah, just the the most the most supportive thing you can do is find a routine for yourself, right? Like I, I've worked on disaster behavioral health responses here in Connecticut. And one of the first things we teach people is how to reestablish some sort of routine because that's really comforting for us. And it's really, it offers some structure, right? So like we're not driving to and from work. A lot of us, like I know I'm not, I came back in over an hour times two, right? Going out to my office and coming home and picking up my daughter from daycare. I've gained a whole bunch of times. Like, how am I using that? Like, being conscious of that. It might mean, like, I spend more time with my kid, which is nice, but also it means I get less podcast audiobook time for my drive to decompress between those things. So how could I still access that? Well, I walk my dog, so I listen to podcasts then. I take some time. Like, I take some time to be alone. So, like, how can you reestablish your self-care routine and how can you establish your day-to-day routine for your whole family or whoever you're living with or for yourself if you're alone? Yeah, I um I mean, I almost feel like there's different phases to this thing. Mm-hmm. Like like I noticed um so I, I live with my girlfriend and then we have a roommate, but we have a lot of space, which is which is awesome. Um but I noticed it was like right away we were kind of arguing, but in like a kind of productive way where it was like, Hey, sure. we need we need to get this stuff out. Let's have it in a, you know, rational you know, respectful way, but, you know, but be upfront about the disagreements. And we kind of had that phase for a few days. And then things, it was like, almost like chill and almost rediscovering different things about our relationship and, and just being comfortable being around each other. And it was actually like really cool. And now I feel like maybe it might be getting that phase of like groundhog day where you kind of, maybe you need some, some space and maybe you need some of your own kind of time and because you like I said you don't have those natural 
times apart, right? Like mm-hmm. when she would be going to work or maybe I'd be out at a show or something where you like have that time apart and then you come back together. So it's just sure. that. So I'm, I'm just uh, wondering like, okay, we're in this phase and then in another week, it'll be another kind of thing. And, you know, I, I wonder what it's going to be like three weeks from now, four weeks from now. Well, hey, friends, my name is Zach Lupiton. You may know me from the band Dust Bowl Revival, but I also host a music discovery podcast called The Show on the Road. For the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is a rock and roll city for sure. I do like chocolates. Get down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles, The Wrath of the Buzzard, P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts. It's certainly going to be different, yeah. And I, I agree, right? And that's just sort of the evolution of these big changes and also like adjusting your routines and a little bit of that grieving process too is our everything, our relationships all are being impacted collectively and individually. And so we're like, we're going to bump heads on how that the, that emerges for each person, right? And everyone's stuck with themselves. That's the thing that I think every client I've had today, every friend that's reached out has said, it's just me, right? Like I'm the only one who cannot hold their stuff together right now. And it's like, no, everybody is having a hard time in different ways. And it emerges in different ways in different times, like depending on where you live, right? When you were quarantined or like when you decided to leave your office is going to be different. So people are at different phases of this, like across the country across the world and so everyone's being impacted slightly different so actually that's uh before i get into these um the 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 questions from other people is i mean have we noticed a difference in places like new york where perhaps people are confined to much smaller living spaces and and perhaps like let's say you're in a relationship and you're in a one-bedroom apartment or a studio um as opposed to you know somewhere in kansas where 
you know, people just have have more space. And they're not on on top of each other. Have we have we seen anything uh, that indicates what, what what that has been like? Uh, I don't think there's any data yet, but I've been hearing a lot of whispery jokes of like how many divorces and how many babies are going to come out of this time, right? Because for real, there's no barriers, there's no buffers unless you do that consciously, right? Like giving yourself some time alone, giving yourself time with the people that you live with, relationships, roommates, like all of those things, right? Like my kid, I've never spent more time with her because she's been in daycare since she was three months old, right? Like we are spending so much time together and it's amazing and challenging all at the same time. So I think it's going to be, yeah, I think New York City and their tiny, tiny apartments, um, there's going to be a little bit more challenges, but also I think people will probably potentially have a lot of exciting stuff that comes out of it. It's going to be a little bit of both, but remains to be seen. Yeah. I mean, I, I just heard, I'll, like you said, it's more anecdotal evidence mm-hmm. and and uh and user a- accounts but you know i was just hearing people saying that oh man people are still going out in new york and i'm like in some ways i kind of don't i think you kind of have to right like you have to preserve some type of <laughs> you know mental acuity by saying sure. hey i need to get out in the sun i need to take a walk i need to because i know they in a lot of places they've shut down park uh public parks and and things mm-hmm. like that so people don't congregate um but in, in 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 some respect, it's like, you know, if if you think you're, you know, you might get sick, but the mental aspect of it is a different type of health concern for some people. They say they probably say, yeah, listen, I'd rather have that than, you know, than than deal with the depression I'm dealing with or deal with the isolation. You know what I'm saying? I, I wonder. For sure, it's such a human thing, right? Because like we'll we'll do short term over long term any day, right? Like I'll risk getting sick later to like be outside right now because I need to like move. Well, but is, also, you know, but isn't that more long term? But isn't that more long? Like if you think about it, the sickness is short term, but mm. the but the mental thing is actually long term, right? Yeah and no, right? A little <laughs> bit of both, right? Because it feels like the short term is I need to get out of this house right now. Yeah, and okay. I risk yeah. coming down with symptoms later to gotcha. go out. Yeah, that makes right? sense. But I hear you. You're right. It's a little bit of both. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's definitely a conundrum, and I, and I think it's uh, situations like this where kind of uh, intuition, right? The the gut feeling is, it you know. A lot of times it's right, you know, with with people. Sometimes that 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 little thing in your in your in your stomach is is leading you in the right direction. But a lot of times it's with things like this that, like I said, that are so long term that you if you do the right things, you may never visibly or tangibly see the re- the good result of it. You know, it's like the if things work out, something doesn't happen, and right. we and we are I think our brains have a difficult time. Uh, tying that together. And so it feels like a scam. <laughs> yeah, that's where the conspiracy theories come in a little bit too, right? It's like, if you can't quite prove it right now, then I don't believe you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so I'm going to get into in some of these questions. My buddy Tom Wilson awesome. says, what are the best remedies for someone having a panic attack? Okay, so breathing, really good. Um, grounding, right? Like seriously sitting on the floor and managing your breath because what happens during a panic attack is one, your thoughts start racing, right? Which means your adrenaline and a bunch of other chemicals, dopamine, epinephrine are all like racing through your body. So you want to be able to bring all of those responses down by breathing and not hyperventilating, which is another risk when you're having a panic attack. So I like square breathing. It's an exercise where you inhale for like a count of three or four. So you inhale, you hold your breath for three or four, then you exhale three or four. Then you hold that empty, exhaled breath, 
for three or four, and it helps regulate when, as you go around the square. If you're really panicked and holding your breath, both in the inhale and the exhale is kind of scary. You can just concentrate on the three-part breath where you envision like breathing in your belly, your chest, and then your throat, and then out your throat, your chest, and then your belly. So really, either of those will help you kind of regulate the breathing, which is what is causing all of the racing thoughts and all of the chemicals to spiral up through you in a panic attack. So just remember to breathe. You can always place your hands on the ground. And also you can um, describe through all five senses your environment. So like you describe your bedroom or whatever room you're in. It's the five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, and one thing you can taste by rolling your tongue around in your mouth. Because it, it reminds your brain that you're not in whatever you're panicking about, like the future, the past. You're right here in this moment, in the present. And those are good for people who aren't panicking as well. Yeah, is It there, brings all of the chaos down. Is there um, like a video or something where people can kind of access that information? Or? Absolutely. Yep, they're all on Pinterest. Pinterest. And um, you can type in square breathing. Um, yeah, use that grounding technique is really big um, on Pinterest. There's like a thousand of them. Brene Brown talks about it. It's a pretty common one for people who disassociate or people who are panicking. Gotcha. So uh, Brian Bars wants to know, um, is there any meditation uh, techniques you could recommend? I don't know if that's that seems semi-related. Totally. Um, breathing is a really great way to meditate, especially if it's new to you. Um, I know there are a lot of apps that are offering free meditation right now. I do them live every week on Wednesdays on my uh, Instagram. But mostly the idea with meditating is just sitting and being present with everything that is. So I like the analogy of your thoughts are going to come, right? They're just That's what your brain does. And the idea is to create space between your thoughts. So can you see a thought and not latch onto it and go, oh, yeah, groceries. Okay, what do I need on my grocery list? Oh, wait, was I supposed to be sitting here and meditating? Oh, yeah, I am. Okay, that, right? And you bring yourself back. Then your mind's going to wander off. Oh, my kid made a sound. Is she awake? What's going on? Oh, wait, am I meditating? Bringing it back, right, and catching yourself. And that's a really great way to start a meditation practice if it's new to you. Yeah, I um, I go through periods where I I do meditation. I've, I've done I – I went did a float tank which was Whoa. which was really fascinating, um, you know, a little scary <laughs> to, mm -hmm. to a certain degree because it's it's an hour and it's a long it's a long hour. It's a long time. <laughs> um, but no, I, I I do enjoy the the discipline of it because I do think it is a it is a, a discipline of of you know almost like you said like people having time with themselves. You mm -hmm. know, meditating is the most I think advanced form of that. You know, where it's like, oh, yeah, you almost, no escape. you're almost scared. Like, oh, man, maybe I don't want to sit here because you never know what's going to kind of come up in the old <laughs> noggin. You do not. <laughs> <laughs> um, Ken Light wanted to know, um, dealing with addiction and living with people with addiction and dealing with emotional and physical abusive situations um, that might emerge and escalate from this. What are some ways to possibly deal with that? Oof, that's going to be tough, right? That's another thing that is definitely going to come out. Um, I would 100% be calling 911. A lot of counties and states have their own um, like 311, 211 information numbers. I don't know what the West Coast has, um, but you can access resources. There are a lot of like domestic violence, um, the RAIN Action Network, right? There's a lot of resources online that people can get support on. There's a lot of online therapy too. Um, I think 
several companies are offering like free counseling groups right now. So it might be a good way to reach out is finding some support there or being in a Facebook group where you or a Reddit group if it's safe to ask for help and support. Um, it's a tough one because again, it's depending on the nature of the violence or the lack of safety. And if you can leave the situation, can you leave safely, right? If you're supposed to be on lockdown or like, you know, no interstate travel, it really depends on where you're going to go. And if you have a safe place to go to right now, that's still supportive. So that is a tough spot. And I have so much empathy and compassion for that. It's, it's going to be hard, but I would encourage you to access your resources. And if you're really in danger, you're going to call 911 or whatever your three-digit information non-emergency line can be. Um, are we, in, in regards to someone personally dealing with addiction, um, are we noticing um, that people are using more in a, in situations like this? So is there a tendency? I mean, obviously I know, I know for a fact people are definitely drinking more <laughs> or oh, actually yeah. we're going to be eating more, drinking more. Well, actually, more. what's funny is, you know, I've kind of, I feel like I'm guilty of, of all of that, but I'm actually losing weight. Um, <laughs> which from stress. No, no, I think, no? I think, okay. you know, you know what it is. I think for a couple things is, you know, the, like the, the drinking, for example, I might be doing some, you know, it's more consistent, but it's not like a night out. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, right. I feel like, like when so you it's managed, when, yeah. Like, I feel like if you go, like if it was a normal night, you'd be, you'd be buying drinks at the bar and then you go to someone's house and, you know, over the course of the night, you drank way more than you would if you're at home, just having a couple glasses of wine. And then yeah. maybe you go to like a diner at four in the morning and it's like the compounding it's, it's it's everything, and I think when you sure. can, when you can kind of control everything that kind of goes into your body consistently, you know, it's like my body is like, oh yeah, you you know, you're you're eating more salads, you're you're consume, you know, I don't know, it's like a weird thing where I can kind of indulge, pick my spots in, of indulging, but that's the that's it. It's happening in a more controlled environment, so I'm still losing weight. But, so that makes sense. Plus, I bet you could work out more if you have less places to go, right? If you aren't going out every night well, for my, a few my, nights, right? My, you could be home working out. My back went out, so I. So not you. Well, no, I've <laughs> I pretty much when I'm dealing with back stuff, I have to do certain things. So mm. I do a pretty advanced, I would say advanced, but uh, you know, rigorous stretching routine at least twice a day, and then I've slowly reincorporated. I do DD, DDPY, which is Diamond Dallas Page Yoga. Um, and so I'm slowly now I can pretty much do the stuff like my back is in a, in a spot where I can pretty much do it. So I'm, I'm getting, getting back into it. But it, it, if, if I wasn't injured, I'd probably be in really, really great shape, but I'm kind of in, in rebuilding mode. But anyway, en en enough about me. Let's get back to some of these. Uh, but have we, I kind of, we, we kind of went off on a tangent. Um, have we noticed people are using more maybe with like harder substances or in, in times like this? Yeah, again, it's like too early to tell, but what I do know is liquor stores always do well in recessions, right? And during times of crisis. So I imagine people are eating more, drinking more, and, you know, going through their stockpiles of stuff. And also you're bored. You yeah. Potentially you're a lot more bored. Yeah. So well, well, one thing. Depends on how you use your energy. One thing I can say too, but even I, I almost experienced a yes where I'm just like, you get bored of drinking too. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, man, this, this, this is a real. Um, relief last week and now i'm like yeah you know right. whatever you gotta find something new <laughs> uh it's like like i said the phases we're all going through the different phases yep uh, um could sean lucera lucero excuse me asked 
Could someone be experiencing circumstantial depression right now? What are the signs and what can they do about it since going to a doctor isn't the easiest thing right now? Yeah, uh, it's definitely situational. Um, we can call it an adjustment disorder, right? Because you're having a hard time adjusting to this very specific thing versus like generally feeling depressed. So just noticing it, validating, like again, listening to things like this where it's like, oh, everyone is experiencing this collective anxiety, this collective mourning, this collective depression potentially, for sure. So things for depression are, you know, things that you were interested in are not interesting anymore. Um, you're sleeping a lot more, just feeling really down, um, noticing thoughts about sadness. And so it's just paying attention to those things and kind of questioning it. Like, are things really as bad as I think? Can I make some goals for myself today just to, like, get out of bed, right? So if you can get out of bed, you can manage that depression because you've done motivated something and you've accomplished something. So I like setting really short, teeny tiny goals when people are feeling really, really sad like that. So, like, can I do a load of laundry today? If I put it in the washing machine, will I get it out of the dryer, right? Like, what about that? That's an amazing accomplishment for me because I always forget about the dryer and the wash, especially when I'm home. So noticing those goals, setting them and trying to accomplish them to kind of lift yourself out of that. And also just really giving yourself a break. Like no one can do a pandemic incorrectly. We're just doing the best we can. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've noticed it in little, like luckily for myself, um, I'm someone like the, the whole thing you said before about people being with themselves and in their thoughts. I'm like that all the time anyway. And I'm very, I'm constantly doing my own mental maintenance and t holding myself accountable. And so I'm, that's where I live. So this is nothing new as far as that's concerned, but I do find myself just having just small flashes of depression, but it usually it's an hour or two here, but I, cause I'm, I keep myself busy through this whole thing. I'm constantly working on stuff. So, and you know, that, you know, not that I'm qualified in any way, but that to me is the number one thing is to not treat it like a permanent vacation is to like, Say, okay, how am I going to, you're, you're doing time. How are you going to do your time? You know, mm -hmm. what are you going to better about yourself? What, what project have you been, uh, not, you know, um, procrastinating on for the last five years? This is the time to write that script, to write that book, to learn, uh, French. <laughs> <laughs> or, yeah, absolutely. Also go get a therapist, right? This could be a really good time to find a therapist because we're all, I know we're all out here and all the therapists are working like a lot. And so what a great time to work on your mindset if this is like a time that's really hard for you. That's a good point. I got to check with my new insurance if I can. <laughs> I, I, gotta, I, I had a therapist and then I started touring and she fired me. She's like, you can't be here. So you're fired. I was like, damn. Nice. <laughs> okay. Time to get re reconnected. Mikey Doling asked, um, the isolation for the kids, it's hard on them. My son, who's almost eight, is bummed. He can't see his friends at school. All the usual activities like trampoline park, jujitsu, batting cages, local playgrounds are all shut down. Home activities only go so far. Uh, we are weeks into this now. He's bouncing off walls. Do you have any advice for parents? You're a parent. I am. I have a three-year-old who is bouncing off the walls as well. Um, yeah, uh, fa we FaceTime her friends, right? Even if I don't like know her parents, I'm trying to reach out. Uh, we're doing FaceTime. We're talking to our grandparents a lot. We I. We have like a playroom in the basement and I've been like moving stuff around and bringing new toys in or hiding toys she's had for a while that she forgets about, right? Eight-year-old, a little bit different, but it might be a time to like build an indoor activity thing or let the eight-year-old figure that out, right? Also, it's okay to be bored. 
So we all have to learn to be comfortable with discomfort. So maybe that's a time for that lesson. Like being bored is okay, right? We're so used to our screens and distractions. So it sounds like this person goes out a lot with all the different activities. Um, you got to get creative, right? Balloons, anything, glue that you have in your house. Like I dug water, water beads out and stuff. I haven't used pipe cleaners from old birthday parties that we've had because we need activities all the time. And there's a lot of great free stuff going on on YouTube right now. Like we did a my daughter and I did a workout this morning with this dude who's just doing all kinds of funky workouts live. Um, there's cosmic yoga for kids, I've noticed. We're doing that. So there's a lot of virtual things that are happening, but it is really challenging as a parent. I totally feel your pain. Yeah, I mean, I don't... This is an, another thing I was thinking about with uh, people in in a city. You know, maybe they have kids and they're in a, in a, in a, in a confined space. And I fully, fully... Um, you know, sympathize with that, uh, with, with, ha with having to deal with that. And what you said about the, the boredom thing. And I'm like, I grew up in the eighties before the internet. And you know, it was like, it's, it's, this is like some super old man. So it was like, back in the day we played with dirt and we liked it. <laughs> but I'm like, I'm just, I feel that way too. I'm just trying to like, you know, it, it, you know, for a certain amount of time, a rubber ball attached to a paddle board with a rubber band was the was the was the PlayStation Four of its day? Okay, <laughs> for most of the time, kids were bored, and you know, and I think uh, you know, boredom is the 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 kind of parent of creativity. Agreed. You know, and that's like, you know, me. I I discover my creativity through being bored in school, and I would I would draw, and I would go into my own world. Um, and kind of utilize that. And I think we could all, you know, adults are, I think, even more guilty of, you know, because I didn't grow up with cell phones, but we've, it doesn't take very long to become consumed with these things and not be able to be okay with a kind of idle mind. Yeah. You know, and that's where like meditation can come into. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is, I guess, a little related to the, abuse and depression, but, but slight, this is actually, no, this is different. Okay. Uh, Eula Garrett wanted to know, I'm wondering how people are getting through bad relationships. I mean, there are surely couples who recently decided to call it quits or have done so since being cooped up. How do you deal with someone you don't want to be around when confined to a small apartment or such? Yeah. Oof. Again, right. So much empathy. Um, I think that's going to come up a lot. It's finding a self-care routine, finding space, how alone do, but time. How do you find space your though? What? Do you mean literal space or or kind of you know no. I mean, internal yes, space? If you can right? Internal and external, right? Like so here in Connecticut, like we're still allowed to leave our homes. So, like we can go on our front lawn and like give each other space. Upstairs, downstairs, different bedrooms. Close your eyes. Hide in the bathroom, hide in the closet. I don't know, right? Like but physical space potentially. If that's not available, it's emotional, right? Like it's it's going inside and kind of finding separate things, reading different books, different tea. Everyone has many, many screens. So just finding some space between the two of you and maybe even having some talks. I don't know. A good couples counselor might be a good thing to do right now. And just remembering that this was this is going to end at some point and you will get apart if you need to be. But it's it's going to be tough. Um, yeah, emotional, internal, and external physical space is the really best thing I can think of. Well, I mean, I mean, like I said, not that I'm not that I'm qualified, but I, you know, I think 
I don't know. I, I part part of me is kind of like sometimes you probably do have to just get out despite the situation, um, whatever whatever that entails. If that's staying with a friend or family, um, you know, because you know, I don't I don't think you want to be in a situation where it's just toxic, and it's like I I can't be around this <laughs> this this person because I you know there's only I don't know am I my off base. Well, so my only, I have so many, you know, I'm a therapist, so I ask lots of questions, but like this was happening sort of slowly and then sort of quickly, depending on where you live. So like what went on that you guys didn't decide to live in like separate environments for this time, like hearing all the quarantine stories, can you survive together through this short period of time? If it's really toxic and dangerous, yeah, you have to leave, but also like that's a risk to the people that maybe want to take you in. So like talking to your friends and seeing if there's some place you can be, if you haven't been exposed, like it might be, it depends on the danger, right? Like is it more dangerous that you're going to go live with your like 80 year old grandfather if you've been out in the world or is it, how toxic is it within the space? Yeah. Are you just uncomfortable, right? Like, or can the other person leave? Why can't they leave? Are there separate units within your apart? Everyone stays upstairs or downstairs, right? Like I just have lots of questions and it's so specific to each person's case. Um, but it's just about doing the best you can yeah. and being safe for sure. Yeah. And I, and I, listen, I, I think, you know, I don't personally try and get wrapped up in, I think the, the kind of spiteful nature of relationship issues is that even if it's not working as a relationship, you know, there should be some kind of fundamental basis of respect, especially sure. when you're sharing a, a space, you know, and, you know, saying, Hey, uh, this is not our ideal situation, but maybe we can figure this out to be amicable mm-hmm. in our, uh, you know, kind of period of, of, um, unhappiness. Confinement. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We have, sure. we have a couple more questions from Twitter. Okay. Um, like I said, not, not too many and I'll, and I'm not going to keep you too long and I appreciate your time so much. Um, sure. so if someone on Twitter rise to offend as how much news intake is healthy for your mental state during isolation on a daily basis? Oh, that's a great question. I can't believe I didn't bring that up sooner. Yeah, let's just not watch very much. Let's reel it in. We don't need to know all the time, 24 hours a day, what's going on. We just don't because it's not going to make you feel better. It is going to make you feel worse. So if you have room for worsening, then like have at it. But you can watch a little bit in the morning if you really need to. You know, like I watch my local station to see what's going on in my state, if any rules have changed or like, you know, what the numbers are. And then I'm done because I don't want to feel terrible all the time. And I have a lot of people supporting my job. So I would decrease the intake on social media and of the news, let things actually sort themselves out, like officially, right? Like numbers constantly change and policies are being updated all the time. And so just... Take it easy with all the intake, please. Yeah, I think there's a um, kind of masochistic relationship with not, well, not only the the news media, but this is a very unique time for this to happen. You know, if you if this happened uh, 50 years ago, you know, maybe you'd get um, you know a, a you know a, a fireside chat with the president maybe once a week, or maybe they you know they would do radio stuff, and it would be and the whole point of it was to kind of keep people calm and and all that but we're in a situation where uh we don't have that kind of leadership right now and i think that's in the, and it's it's like this thing of people like i said this goes back to the control thing about a lot of people are are unhappy or angry or scared and 
you know, they that it's like this thing of, well, I know now where to direct my anger. If that's the president or 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 governor or local whatever of you or China or whoever, um, and I think it becomes this thing of, you know. It pisses me off, but at least it gives me something to be pissed off at. <laughs> right. <laughs> Direct that mood somewhere. Yeah. Also, like, question your reactions, right? Like, if you're yelling at people close to you, but you're really mad about something else, right? Like, let's, let's look at that. Um, but, yeah, I would, be, I would be taking in way less because it's not going to make you feel good. You could channel your rage, write a letter. But, like, really, let's use the energy for something else. Let's manage it. Uh, Christopher Wolford has, a, I think, a great question. Uh, what do we tell our kids and how do we support wives or husbands that currently work in healthcare? Yeah. Oof, that's also, oh my gosh, my heart goes out to all of you. Uh, it's a lot of empathy. It's a lot of reminding children, especially that we are going to be safe and that this is going to end, right? That the parent who's out is doing a really good thing by taking care of other people and being a helper. And depending on the age, right, there's age appropriate ways to kind of explain the danger versus safety. Small kids do not need to hear that they are in danger, right? Like that will stay with them. I think there's, I imagine there's gonna be a lot of studies about how children were impacted by this entire experience because they're like, you think adults have a hard time adjusting? Like kids both have a really hard time, but they're also really unattached to things. So like routine and structure and knowing that they're safe is really important. But Mostly they're pretty resilient. You know, um, kids who like lose limbs or get injured, right, as children uh, indefinitely adapt so much better than adults because we identify like, oh, well, I was a person with two arms and two legs and now my identity has been shaken. I can't do the things I used to do. Kids don't have that attachment. So they're actually really resilient in that way. They don't have that identity that's so tightly formed. They, they can manage that. But they do need to know that they're safe and that there's structure and that you know, their parents or whoever their caretakers are are going to be there for them. And just remembering it's sort of like a military family. Like I work in a big military town that like the parents are out there being superheroes, doing wonderful, incredible feats of strength and that we should just be you know, grateful for them and honor them and that they'll be back when they, when they can. But lots of people need their help. Yeah, no, I think that's fantastic. We have one more question. I think you pretty much already answered it, but at least we just want to acknowledge uh, Felix Sucre uh, for said, for those dealing with depression, anxiety, PTSD, it is very hard uh, not to be affected by isolation. Um, and he said, he's in South America, and he said the government did a forced quarantine. Um, um, any, any techniques to avoid... Uh, panic attacks I mean we kind of talked about when you're already having a panic attack is there mm -hmm. any way to kind of get in front of it yeah it's the same tools like it's sort of managing your mind and your body like noticing the signs and the things that for you lead up to a panic attack or feeling depressed or anxious when people panic right they start to get increased heart rate maybe their hands turn into fists they flood their face flushed they feel their blood pressure rising, right? All those things are related and interrelated. Um, but sort of noticing, we call it like, um, like stop, you know, um, red, yellow, green, right? So like you're slowly building up to the panic. And if you're pretty insightful or know yourself, you could see the symptoms sort of starting to pile up. So if you can intervene earlier, um, one of my favorite things is um, holding a, a cube of ice in your hand or putting like really cold water on your face or back of your neck because that strange sensation of the cold helps calm all of the like neurons that are firing and redirects them. And so it can really like cut short anything that's about to build up. Yeah. Um, I think that's great. I like the, I like the cold idea that I, you know, cause people that's, I know, um, who is it? Uh, Tony Robbins. 
actually mm-hmm. said every day he has like a um I don't know, you know, he's rich, so he I don't know if he but he does like a hot cold thing. I don't know like uh-huh. where where it's like he goes like from hot water to like ice water to like it, right the first thing in the morning it like kind of just gets all your your ner- yeah. nervous system kind of firing. Cool. I tried right, doing well, it for, for you, Tony Robbins. I yeah. tried doing it for a while, and I, I was like, I, I cannot do this. This is. I think I have PTSD from the cold water. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, yeah, that can be really extreme, but in a moment where you're working, worrying about panic, right? That can be really great to kind of break you out of that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So th- that's all the, um, the the questions from the people on social media. Thank you uh, to everyone. Like I said, I I ended I forgot about it, so I put it up kind of late. But actually, I think that. You know, if, if I would have had like twice as many questions, we'd be here all day. So I think that was the kind of perfect amount of uh, of stuff. And I think we covered a, a a good amount. Is there anything else that we missed that you think is is relevant? You no, know? I think we got it. Those are some excellent questions. You have a really great audience. So thank you so much for having me and for uh, putting me on the spot and trying to have to think through that. I love this. So it's do so you actually? I have one one more question before I I, I let you go. As someone, you, you like I said, you kind of alluded to this a little bit before, but when you're someone who is uh, talking to and and kind of guiding people who are dealing with tough scenarios, how do you, as um, uh, you know, as a professional in that that regard, how do you mentally deal with that? You know, a long day where you're just kind of taking on all this heavy uh, emotional, psychological pain. Um, like how do you like how do you find your inner peace? Well, I think it's just it's just is it just taking your own advice more or less? Yeah, <laughs> or remembering to uh, having a good supportive family. I have a very supportive husband. I have an awesome kid. Uh, doing my own self care that's really important. Like I, you know, do I used to before I had a kid. I used to knit a lot, but I try to like have some quiet time for me. I try to get back to reading or watching a show that I really like. Lots of breathing, meditation, and. Um, that's about it. It's really about self-care. And it's just, it's sort of like anything, right? Like how do you live on the road for so long? I would be a wreck, right? Like you adjust from the career, the the job that you've had and you build really important support systems around that. Oh, well, awesome. Awesome. And, you know, and going back to what that guy said about supporting people in healthcare, I mean, I, you know, these, it's, it's like the, um, you know, the firefighters and police during nine 11. I mean, these, Anyone who's working in healthcare right now, who's in hospitals and yeah. in, 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 in clinics, ambulances, you know, and of course, everyone who's doing deliveries and working in um, uh, grocery stores and all, all that stuff who's who's out there, man. I mean, I, I just can't uh, thank and, and try to appreciate all those all those people enough, you know, definitely. Yeah, big time. Same. It, yeah, I've been driving out and like trying to buy gift cards from all our restaurants and places to support locally because that's the best we can do right now is supporting everybody and showing love and kindness. Yeah. Um, so can people do direct, um, stuff with, with you as in terms of, um, therapy or, or anything like that? You know, again, it depends. Um, a lot of like red tape and bureaucracy, um, around my license. If you're in Connecticut, you can come see me one-to-one. We're doing teletherapy right now because all uh, insurance companies are paying for that where they weren't a month ago. So that's really exciting. Um, you could do coaching as far as like long distance, right? Because, but you can't use your insurance. So it really depends. So just reach out. Um, I'm at grounded therapist on Instagram. And then my website is groundedtherapist.com. Grounded therapist. Yep, like you're grounding, right? Like that five senses exercise we talked about, or you got grounded by your parents. 
rounded therapist. Well, thank you so much, Rachel. This has been informative and interesting and fun. And um, I just really, really appreciate it. I think everyone who listens to the show will appreciate it. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thanks for having me. You take care. Stay safe, everybody. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. What's up, everybody? I am Finn McKenty, host of the Punk Rock NBA podcast, part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. My podcast is all about doing what you love for a living. And every week, I sit down and talk to people who have done exactly that. For example, musicians like Tommy from Between the Buried Me, Matt from Periphery, Lil Lotus and Shinigami, among many others, photographers, artists, designers, YouTubers like Glenn Fricker and Sarah Dietschy, and I unpack exactly how they got to where they are today with the goal of helping you do the same. So if that sounds cool, you can listen and subscribe at SoundTalentMedia.com, and I'll see you there. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network.